you're listening to The Sniff and my name is Nicola Thomas. Today's guest makes art and her art explores narrative drama within popular media. So in homage to her work, I'm going to introduce her in an appropriate style. She came from America, land of the free, with nails as red as blood and a trail of broken hearts in her wake. London was her home now, as much as any place could claim her, and many places had tried. She spent her days training in the elusive arts of perfumery so she could steal souls and take names, fragrantly of course. Dripping in jewels and with Jackie Collins as her muse, she makes provocative art, which is a cross between high fashion, drama, romance novels, big hair TV shows from the 1980s and many more things besides. So please, clutch your pearls, hide your menfolk and join me in welcoming Sarah Baker to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for that intro. I love that. How did I do? Do you think I could be an extra on your next uh, project? <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be needing extras pretty soon, so um, I'll get in touch. <laughs> so your work is so expansive and multifaceted that I barely know where to start, but I thought let's start with the art side of things. Can you describe what you do for our listeners who might not be familiar? So for my work as an artist, I am really interested in storytelling and fashion and drama and um, luxury worlds. So I've made a lot of film and plays and photographic projects that often have like a sense of glamour and heightened drama all through all through it. And as you mentioned, a lot of your work is based in this very luxurious, like opulent context. Is that a kind of exploration of your views on society's consumerism? And or, or, or rather, can that be found within your work? Well, that's always been the driving question. And I think I never wanted to give the answer to that question. I still don't. Because I feel like um, it's more interesting to walk the line um, of criticism and celebration. So I think ultimately maybe it was coming from a criticism, but then, you know, who doesn't love the idea of going for a yacht ride in the Greek islands? Like, I'll take that any day. That sort of, you know, it remains very relevant. I I'm thinking about how shows like Selling Sunset, which are about hyper-luxury property market in Los Angeles, you know, they're, they're doing fabulously well at the moment and millions of people are watching them. So I think the relevance of that line between, between criticism and celebration remains something that we're perhaps grappling with as a society. Yeah, um, I think, you know, with global warming and the environment, Um, you know, I think we're, and just, you know, the pandemic and war and all of these kinds of really heavy, heavy things that are going on. I think consumerism is definitely something that's on the forefront of, of people's minds as potentially the root of all evil. (laughs) Um, so it, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to find a balance, and obviously it is as a brand owner who thinks about these things. It is conflicting, but what I can hold on to as like a guiding force to carry us through 
is that ultimately people need a sense of joy and a sense of um, luxury and, you know, those endorphins that you get when you are opening something that you've just bought that is like so exciting. And when you go to reach for your perfume, you know, in the morning, if you're whatever it is that you're doing, even if you're wearing jeans and a t-shirt and not going anywhere special, there's something really luxurious about just simply, you know, a few spritzes of perfume. So I think that the happiness and the joy that it potentially brings to people around the world is for me worth the, the risk of having like a consumer product. Mm. And you've released a book Baroness, which is about, it's almost like a sort of a photo essay that deals with that luxurious world, um, but also has this vein within it about how women aren't always the bad guys and they don't resort to that trope of infighting and bitchiness, which which I loved, um, by the way. I loved the whole thing. And you got some absolutely massive names uh, like Donatella Versace, Helena Christensen, to be part of that project how on earth does something like that come about it's, it's not like you bump into them down the supermarket is it mm. well donatella versace versace as a brand has actually like amazingly always been one of the sort of inspirational forces behind my work as an artist um so you know the world of um overt luxury overt money, um, nouveau riche, those are always things that I have looked at with criticism and celebration at the same time, as we mentioned earlier. And so um, when I was working with Baroness magazine, we wanted, we needed um, somebody to fund our book project, which we had already started. And um, we had, you know, written a draft and we'd sort of gotten underway um, in map it out and um, we knew we needed some fashion sponsorship and we tried a few smaller brands and we just got no but um Matthew said to me who do you really want like who who would you really love and I said Versace let's like let's just ask them <laughs> um, sometimes it happens like that it doesn't usually happen like that but this time it did it's amazing and I'm so pleased that you managed to pull that off because it's really cool. The idea of the people behind the celebrity kind of fascinates me and I wonder, you know, when you're working with these supermodels and these incredibly famous people, what are they like? Are they nice? What do you chat about between takes? Um, well, you know, Helena Christensen um, has a brand which is um, Strange Love New York. I don't know if you know that she's the uh, co-founder of, of Strange Love. Same Strange Love NYC, I think it's called. Strange. I smelled some of the fragrances recently. Mm. Um, yeah, I and they're beautiful fragrances. Mm. Christophe Laudamel, I think, is yeah. the perfumer for all of the, those fragrances. So, yeah, she's she's absolutely lovely. I mean, she's uh, she's also a person. I knew who she was before I knew who Donna Versace was because I had older sisters. So when I was a teenager... You know, it was all about like the supermodels and Cindy Crawford, Helena Christensen, um, Linda Evangelista. Um, so, you know, and remember when George Michael came out with his video? I think um, 
Helena Christensen was in a music video as well. And, um, you know, like that was all part of like the fabric of what interested me in, I guess, celebrity culture and, you know, music videos was a huge influence on me when I was a kid. So once I start making art, I um, eventually got into really wanting to make videos. And I think it was partly thanks to MTV and that influence. Yeah. And were you able to tell her any of that when you met her? (laughs) Um, No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no. You know, I mean, I was, I think I was a little nervous meeting her. I was a little nervous talking to Donatella Versace. I mean, Donatella was, Donatella was really sweet, you know, and she was, she was so supportive, you know, she'd, she would come up to me and like squeeze my arm and say things like, women have to support each other. You know I mean? She would say things, she would say things like that. And um, she has a wonderful sense of humor, actually. She's, she's somebody who is um, really happy to laugh at herself. And I think if it wasn't, for that, they wouldn't have taken the risk to work with me because I, I have always been afraid. Like anytime I've met somebody, like I have worked with um, Jackie Collins and Donatella Versace, and I think, are they afraid that I'm making fun of them? Because I'm an artist, and I my work is a little bit tongue in cheek, and it's you know there's a lot of humor in my work, and um, I think the answer is. Well, they maybe are aware that we're all making fun of it and we're all kind of having a good time. And um, they aren't afraid of being made fun of and they're they're um, more than happy to laugh at themselves mm. as well. And that's what I think that's one of the things that attracts me to them. Mm. And it, it, yeah, it, it just is so interesting. Um, yeah, what about Jackie Collins? Was she nice? Um, like, I've got this secret yeah. desire to one day write a romance novel, and uh, I would go along the style of Jackie Collins if I ever do do it. <laughs> well, you may be an airport tycoon novelist, like she was, because you know people love that that format. And um, yeah, Jackie Collins was um, absolutely amazing. I actually, when I first met her, I kind of crashed. A, a reading that she was doing at a casino in Arizona. And I um, didn't have an appointment. I tried to get an appointment. I tried, in fact, for a couple of years to get an appointment with her. Um, I, I knew her son-in-law. I tried to get an appointment with her through him. And that turned into a scandalous Jackie Collins style situation. And so it did not work out, needless to say. And then I tried to go through PR people and magazine people and, you know, all of this. And finally, um, I was actually filming uh, Studs, which was an artwork I made about her novel, The Stud. And um, I knew that I found out that she was a couple hours drive away. And I just went there with a couple of magazines under my arm, things that I had published of my work so that she could see that I wasn't like a nobody. And I got an interview with her, which was great. You know, um, she was amazing. Yeah, brilliant. The rest is history, really, flowing on from that. And people often say, don't meet your heroes, don't they? So I'm glad for you that that didn't turn out to be a disappointing you know, experience. It obviously fired your creativity to continue and to do more rather than less. Yeah, I think there's always like 
a little bit. I can understand why people say that in Jackie Collins in a way it's like, so she, she died a few years ago and I wonder how um, all of this era, like how she would have reacted to it because you know, we don't have similar political views at all. So I think as I came to understand more really about Jackie Collins, I thought, okay, so she's not the perfect, like ideal person that I think I made her out to be and to have based like a decades (laughs) body of work on her. Maybe like I should uh, kind of take a step back and look at what is it that um, really does inspire me about Jackie Collins. And I, and I think ultimately it was her, st- her storytelling and the way that she um, managed to weave in and out of characters and, um, and that she always had a strong woman, a strong woman who would, um, you know, kick ass in Jackie Collins' words. Mm, yeah. And going back to your book, in it, you wear the most incredible blue dress and, you know, it, lo- it looks absolutely stunning. I wonder, did you pair perfumes with it, without outfit or with any of the outfits in the book? And if so, can you share some of them with us? Um, I brought a bottle of Dunkle Jezebel with me to set. So, um, and it kind of became a little bit of like a, a background doll piece. I mean, there was, there, was, um, there was also a lot of Versace perfumes on set, by the way. <laughs> so, um, so, and you know, many of which were photographed by us, so they were in the book. And of course, Jungle Jezebel didn't make it into the book. Um, you know, so there was a little bit of a conflict of interest, I think, for them. Um, but nonetheless, Donatella Versace did end up with a bottle of Jungle Jezebel, the one with the eyelashes and wig. So, um, so yeah, it was kind of nice to have. It kind of was comforting for me to have Jungle Jezebel with me on set. So yeah, let's let's go on to perfumery a bit more. How did your brand come about and when did you decide that it was the next avenue of exploration for you? Um, so I started my brand after I made a film about a CEO of a luxury fashion house. Um, and after I created the characters the logo for the brand, the costumes, and the homeware props. I came out of that experience wanting to continue my journey in in real life um, and to create something real. Um, So I had always been interested in perfume and my artwork had been exploring ideas of luxury, but... um, once I got started, I basically slid down the rabbit hole into the world of fragrance and um, how fragrance can tell a story or evoke a scene, um, a scene in a story. So um, I felt like it was a really good tool for carrying on the storytelling process. Um, and I was really excited about fragrance's ability to evoke places almost silently, like an invisible art form. Mm. I always think it's a really big leap between having that appreciation for fragrance and enjoying it and finding those stories in it and then making your own. What was it that got you over that line? Okay. um, So, I mean, just on a practical level, um, and I suppose this gives some 
indication. I have a lot of like big ideas. I often have these sort of big, big ideas that could be a lot of them are like our pipe dreams and they don't come to life. But when I get really excited about something, um, I think I believe that I can do it. And I go around telling everybody that's what I'm doing even before I get started. And in this particular instance, that actually really worked out to (laughs) my benefit because I went around telling, I went around to art openings in London saying, oh yeah, well, my next thing is I'm going to, I'm going to do a perfume. And so, so one of the people who I said that to, um, said, oh, well, since you're going to LA, I was on my way. You should go to Lucky Scent and talk to Stephen Guntarski because he used to go to Goldsmiths, which is where we went to college. And um, he knows so much about perfume now. And he was an artist. He is an artist. So um, I went to Lucky Scent and I met Stephen. And I, again, I had some artwork to show him. And I said, I want to do a perfume. I'm an artist. And he said, you should go talk to Saskia Wilson-Brown. And um, it was just a remarkable moment because I know, and I knew Saskia Wilson-Brown and how many Saskia Wilson-Browns can there be? And um, Saskia went to art school in London when I did, and we had mutual friends and we showed in exhibitions together and she curated me into shows and she bought my work. All of this happened like from 2001 to 2000 six and we fell out of touch she went on to um start a a, she founded a film festival and then uh around this time she had just started the institute for art and olfaction and um which you probably know as um the the organization who does the art and olfaction awards and um is just this amazing amazing organization that has wonderful online classes that I take still because they're amazing. And so anyway, I did end up going to um, Saskia and she was so happy to, you know, be back in touch with me. It was mutual. And she introduced me to Ashley Eden Kessler, who made my first two perfumes, mm. Leopard and Greek Keys. And I didn't know any perfumers then. I, you know, I, it was like, and I didn't know very much about perfume and Ashley taught me everything you know she she's she began like my foundation and education about perfume so um yeah ashley yeah that's great um as an artist what do you get out of perfumery that you don't get out of more visual mediums do you think i think that there is something um that is extremely emotional about fragrance that is hard for us to describe. Mm. And um, while we talk about how perfumes can tell a story, it's kind of almost a supplement to words or some other materials that are either visual or time-based that help you understand what that story is. Mm. Um, But I think that what fragrance provides cannot be provided by any other sense and um, and I think it's emotive. I, I think it's it's purely emotional. And I think um, through those emotions, we can we can discover um, other things, like for instance, um, addiction, like addiction to a fragrance. 
And I think like other art mediums aren't like that in that same way. You know, you're not like dying to go see, you know, another gallery show and look at more sculptures necessarily. But I feel like with fragrance, you, you kind of have that like need to get back that, to get to that thing again and to smell that again. Mm, yeah. And I'm sort of thinking all this creativity that you you know you're putting out there in multiple mediums how do you creatively recharge yourself yeah so that that actually is a good question I mean um as a brand owner there's like a lot of stuff to work out that's not creative necessarily I mean we're talking like spreadsheets and inventory and shipping uh, regulations, those types of things that um, most artists aren't trained to deal with. So when I find that I'm getting a little bit caught up in the nuts and bolts, which happened to me recently, um, I just decided to totally take a step back and recharge my creative batteries, as you said. And um, I just kind of did the bare minimum of what was required for, for about, I don't know, four, four weeks, however long it takes until I start feeling excited again. Cause I think if you're not excited about what you're doing, it's, it's just not worth it. I think it is really important. And it's one of the things that comes up an awful lot actually on the podcast. And I think I said this in the last episode, but it's the kind of the excitement and the curiosity that seems to pervade a lot of people who are in this sector. Um, you know, they are curious about the world and excited to be engaging with it, which I think is really nice and really um, find that really interesting as well. So, yeah, so within your brand, you've got two different strands, the extraits and the eau de parfums. If we look at the extraits first, which one of these is your most proud achievement and why? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, there are a few that kind of spring to mind. Um, I think Atlant, I think Atlant is like, for me, a very special perfume. Um, so I worked closely with Sarah McCartney and to the point of, I annoyed the hell out of her. <laughs> um <laughs> And um, she was very, she was very kind and, um, you know, I think amused perhaps by my persistence. Um, and in fact, I ended up taking like a week long workshop with her because partly because I was like, we've got to really nail Atlant and like, I need, I need to get more of her attention. I'm going to just go there and like, um, you know, work it, work it out. That was one of the things that we worked out during that week. and. Um, and so I felt like the persistence really paid off um, because while it has like a seaweedy, you know, definitely you're like, you're there on the wet rocks and it's like, it's like a beach, a real beach smell. It's not like, it's not like a fake ocean smell, which I, which I love as well, but it's just, you know, like the, the freshy category is filled with these kinds of like the idea of clear blue water, but it's, it's not like really what the ocean smells like. Um, you know, so I really loved that we, we, um, we 
we made it real beachy, but it's also iridescent and shimmery and sparkly. I kind of wanted it to almost be like a sequin covered mermaid coming out of the ocean sort of thing. <laughs> so so I, I'm, um, and Sarah was, I think, very happy with the end result as well. Good. And Ludo's your latest, and to my mind, one of the finest releases from the line. Could you mm. tell us a bit about that, please? And and why you picked Oud to work with with the perfumer Chris Maurice? Because I think Oud it's so difficult to get right, and I think it's right. You know, it's it's so well done. So why that? And you know, how did it how did it come about? So I've been working with Carbonell as a compounding house. And so I've, I've known Chris Maurice for a few years. And when I met him in Florence at one of the trade shows, I mentioned I wanted to um, work with him on an oud fragrance. And I had already smelled this wonderful oud called Chiara that the perfumer Sultan Pasha um, and I, we were introduced to it on the same evening where he he had a, a dealer friend of his who deals in Kiara Oud come through I think from Singapore and we had an evening in London uh, we met Roja Dove we um, had dinner and we smelled Kiara Oud it was a wonderful evening and, and it was actually an eye-opening evening fragrant wise for me um, because the Oud was so magnificent um, so ever since then, I really wanted to work with an oud perfume and Chris Maurice or Christian Carbonell. Um, he has made so many wonderful oud perfumes. One of them uh, recently that was published by Zerjoff called Symphonium has like a chocolate, chocolatey orange oud situation. It's absolutely magnificent. Um, so uh, Chris had made Symmetry, which is in our um, EDP collection, our S. Baker collection. And Symmetry is um, a fresh oud because that whole collection is fresh, really. They're like light, sort of lighter, um, maybe summery perfumes. And um, so actually... It's Ludo is like a relative of symmetry. So Ludo was kind of the deeper, more complex version that works well as an extrait de profonde. So it's a higher concentration. And yeah, and um, it is very popular. It's definitely our bestseller. So I'm I'm excited about Ludo, and it's a perfume that I wear all the time. Mm, yeah, and if anybody, you know, is sort of tempted by the notes, there: bergamot, neroli, pettigrain, black cherry, cipriol, orange blossom, white chocolate, oud, musk, amber, and vanilla. So. I would highly recommend that anybody checks that out. How do you pick a perfumer to work with? I'm always really fascinated by how those collaborations come about. I think you've touched on it a couple of places, but what what selection process do you go through to to kind of go, yeah, I want to work with that person? Well, I mean, when I started out, I didn't know a single perfumer. So all I knew was I wanted to make a perfume and Saskia introduced me to Ashley Eden Kessler, who made our first her- two perfumes 
But then also um, I've continued to work with Ashley and she made Bascule, which was released in our Ode Parfums collection. Um, and I think it's like a really, for us, really organic process. Um, you know, I think there are perfumers who I've started working with and it didn't go anywhere who are friends of mine. There are perfumers who um, I would love to work with, but I don't know them. So it's, it's really, it's quite a complicated answer to, it's a complicated question to answer because it's really different every time. But if I'm being perfectly honest, it's mostly like access, like who, you know, we know and who, who we've been inspired by and have had good conversations with. And it's led to a perfume that worked that is, um, that we love. And you traded as a perfumer yourself in 2014 and released your first two scents for the line, G-Clef and Flame of Fortune in 2020. How did it feel to step across to the other side? You know, was it intimidating to be on the other side of the pipette for a change? Yeah, I mean, I started learning perfumes, not so that I could become a perfumer, but so that I could understand more about perfumery and become a better evaluator basically. Um, so, but through the process, um, I think I made a couple of all right perfumes and I think maybe it was, um, you know, I was finally able to accept that they were good because I figured maybe there's something, even though I've not been trained, you know, in one of the big perfumery schools, or maybe I'm not trained as much as some of the self-taught perfumers, but that because I have been trained as an artist and I have been working as an artist for, uh, you know, most of my life that um, maybe there's something about like balance and composition that um, an intuition and knowing when to stop those kinds of things that um, it really actually enables me to finish a perfume. Mm. I think that's really um it's a, a sort of unique view on the world and i personally love um flame and fortune which i think has got a real luminosity to it um that i find really compelling could you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind that perfume but also i'd really like to know how you got that luminous element into it from a technical perspective you know how did you combine things to make it feel like it's glowing well actually so we talked earlier about Baroness, the book with Versace. And um, I mentioned briefly that I was working with Matthew, who runs Baroness magazine, on the story and um, on the book and the idea of the project. And actually, we originally wanted it to be a perfume as well. And so I started making that perfume. And the perfume notes all were in relation to each of the elements of the story. So, um, so I was more, I was choosing my ingredients because of things that took place in, in the story. And, um, and then when we, when we finally went to work with Versace, we actually, we self-edited scrapping the perfume because, because of their conflict of interest, we'd realized like, Versace are not going to be able to publish one of our perfumes in this way. 
um, I mean, they, they have like their licenses and their whole legal situation that they deal with, with their perfumery. So they certainly wouldn't be able to do like a small batch of like perfume for a special occasion. Maybe they will one day and maybe they'll work with me. That would be amazing. But, um, you know, and that was something I thought I wanted at the time, but, um, so that was how Flame and Fortune actually got started. It was, it was a creative project that was a, a proper storytelling project. And, um, you know, soon we're going to be coming out with a, an iteration of Flame and Fortune that actually is going to tell that story. Because the story, the story that ended up as Baroness Versace is complete, it was completely changed. Um, so we, so we went back to the original story and the original perfume and we're making a, a, ver- a version of that as well coming out. Fabulous. Um, I didn't answer your question in regard to how I made it so luminous. Luminous, yeah. Um, thank you so much. I don't know how I did it either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I really don't. Um, I, like I said earlier, I think it was a matter of um, choosing the ingredients based on the story, but the proportions were more about using my intuition and kind of achieving a balance. You know, it's a challenging one for some people. There's, um, it's a bit, it's a bit like a white flowers on fire type of feel to it I think some people think um but I think it's just different you know I think it's maybe just a little bit different I don't think it's necessarily challenging I I think it's extremely wearable there's an orange blossom element to it which really kind of rounds it rounds it off um actually that was one of the last things I added to to finish the fragrance it was kind of sat on the shelf for a few years and then when I went back to it, I realized it needed it needed something rounder and more voluptuous. And um, and that's when like the fortune came in. It was like the idea of like the jackpot or the pot of gold or something like that. And I felt that the orange blossom and beeswax and vanilla kind of gave it that roundness that it needed. Yes. And if anybody's interested in this one, the notes are orange blossom, pink pepper, apricot, ginger, mandarin, pettigrain, lily of the valley, iris, jasmine, tuberose, motor oil, labdanum, embers and mezcal. So it is quite, um, yeah, I like the white flowers on, on fire. To me, it's it reminds me of candlelight, that kind of diffuse orange glow you get from candlelight. But, but kind of candlelight, at the side of a freeway, <laughs> like you can arrange yourself a nice little circle of candles at the side of a freeway. Mm. That's what it kind of that's the sort of thing it gives me. So to sort of wrap us up from the sensible questions, anyway, if listeners were to take away one thing, one one nugget of information about you or your fragrances, what would you like that to be? I think, you know. Our driving factor is um, that perfumes should be exciting and artistic, but not like so artistic that they are repulsive. Um, 
I want them to be wearable and enjoyable and fun. And I think I think they are. I think they are definitely. There's um, sometimes feel like some of them are almost giving me a little cheeky wink. <laughs> and I think that's <laughs> we have decided that we are really interested in um, how each one of our fragrances does actually have a story to tell with like characters and places. And um, we've kind of decided to go back and refocus on that. So while we are, we do have upcoming releases, we are also um, taking a little bit of time to go back to all of our fragrances and retell the stories more explicitly. So um, I think I mentioned earlier that I was a little maybe bogged down by like the nuts and bolts of running a small business. And I felt like a little cloudy, like I lost some of my inspiration or my um, chutzpah, you know, it was just kind of getting a little bit like, so um, I took some time and I realized like, I am so excited about some of the storytelling aspects. And um, so as soon as we kind of decided, let's go back and retell some of these stories more explicitly, I've, I've been really excited. So like we're at the typewriter and we're working and we're writing and we're going back to kind of um, revisit these ideas. And I'm, I'm really excited again. Mm. Good. I'm glad. And it, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? You know, when you've got a million adulting, well, let's face it, adulting is hard. And <laughs> an adult in charge of a small business is that kind of concentrated so the creativity and the keeping that topped up is becomes harder and harder but more and more vital I think as you get more laboring under the weight of the world and I wonder do you think that gets harder as you get older do you think it gets harder to keep the creative fires burning as you get older I just think it's I think it's important to to if you find that you're not excited to to take all the time that you need to get back to that place of excitement um, and that, and to prioritize that, you know, because I think, um, I mean, as an artist, I think it's something that kind of has always been a priority. I've been, you know, nurtured into, um, into prioritizing my imagination. So yeah, it probably is harder. And we, you know, we learn from the younger generation, I guess. But um, it's important to not, I guess, mimic the younger generation because they're they're on a different they're on a different path. But I think what's important is to just look inside to find what gets your juices flowing. Mm. Yeah, I think that's good advice for us all. So on to some rapid quickfire questions, if that's all right. A bit of fun to finish us off. What's your favorite smell? Um, cooking smells, um, like garlic and butter, butter, melted butter or warming butter. Lovely. What smells do you dislike? Um, I dislike, um, the smell of piss when I'm on public transport. And that is an issue in London because you feel like you might sit in something. Honestly, it's a little bit 
Um, another one is, um, another one is sulfur. I don't know if you have ever visited Yellowstone National Park. It is one of the most beautiful, visually beautiful places with all of the natural elements of the world. But because of the sulfur, it actually is a total mismatch of smells. Like it actually, a mismatch of senses Mm. because it smells rank but it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. If you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history, where would you go and what would you smell? Do you know how, um, okay, so do you know how when Coco Chanel was presented with Chanel number five mods and um, the perfumer accidentally overdosed the aldehydes, it was a mistake and she chose the mod number five and I would love to go back to that place and smell some of the other mods that she rejected or the or or the ones that weren't supposed to have the overdose Mm -hmm. just out of curiosity I'd love to be in that space also when she got so excited when Coco Chanel got so excited about Chanel number five I'd love to experience that Mm, that's a great answer what do you think fear smells like? Um, nervous body odor. You know, like there are different types of body odor and there's a nervous body odor that smells like scary. It's like when you're afraid, when you're nervous, it smells different than when you've like been running. Mm. Yeah. What smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? Um, lilac is a smell that um, I'm working on right now and it immediately transports me into the house I grew up in in the springtime we had a massive lilac bush outside the house with the open windows Um, brings me right there beautiful Uh, are you wearing fragrance right now I am which one jungle Jezebel what does summer smell of cut grass and dandelions what smell reminds you of school um pencil shavings mm. and finally if scientists were to invent a smell phone who would you ring first marilyn monroe very cool very cool <laughs> uh, if people wanted to know more about you or your line what web address should we send them to? This is not a quick fire question. This is just a <laughs> regular question. I can answer this one quickly. Um, SarahBakerPerfumes.com. Wonderful. Or House of Sarah Baker, House of Sarah Baker on Instagram as well. Brilliant. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I've thank you. So much, and I've just really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I love your podcast. Oh, and thank you. <laughs> It's really a pleasure to be a guest on it. Oh, great. I'm really glad. (laughs) The Sniff Perfume Podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram at the Sniff website or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the sniff. 
Our guest today was Sarah Baker. We weren't paid in cash or in kind to feature Sarah. Sarah has very kindly in the past gifted me with some products, but this was with no strings attached. Thanks very much for listening.